What's up and welcome back to the Locked on Bucks podcast. I am James Yarko joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at thepewterplank.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked on Bucks, at the Peter Plank, at Yarko underscore Bucks and at DH82 underscore Bucks. Well, draft weekend is over. It's the, all the hype, all the speculation, all the all of it. It's done. It's signed, sealed, delivered. And the Buccaneers come away with quite a haul. And real quick, before I introduce our guests, going to run through the list real fast. I'm sure you all know it, but just for the sake of the show, here we go. The Buccaneers at number 12 overall selected defensive tackle Vita Vea out of Washington. 38th overall, Ronald Jones the second, the running back from USC. 53rd overall, cornerback MJ Stewart from North Carolina. 63rd overall, Carlton Davis, the cornerback out of Auburn. 94th overall, Alex Kappa, the guard out of Humboldt State University. 117th overall, safety Jordan Whitehead out of Pitt. 144th overall, Justin Watson, the wide receiver out of Penn. And finally, 202nd overall is linebacker Jack Sitchie out of Wisconsin. So with that, we have ourselves a little roundtable. We're going to be discussing this draft hall with Buccaneers.com's Carmen Vitale and our very own Bailey Adams from thepewterplank.com. And Carmen, we're going to start with you. Uh, first of all, welcome to the show. We're very excited to have you on. Um, what What's your initial takeaway from this draft class? Uh, well, thanks for having me. Uh, the, this draft class, it's it's one of those things where I've been a part of the last couple of drafts with the Buccaneers, and I can't. I, I keep thinking that we can't possibly, or the Bucks can't possibly, do any better. Um, especially after last season, you get four starters out of your 2017 class, and you know you had OJ Howard fall at, at, at number 19. No one thought that was going to happen for the Bucks, and so this draft, you know, you're going in thinking they can't possibly get that lucky again. You know, to get a crazy talent, to get an awesome haul. And I am so excited about this class because, you know, you picked up Vita, or you picked up draft picks in addition to getting Vita Vea uh, with your first overall. And it was it, it was incredible that you know Jason Light started the night with two picks, I believe it was, in the top 100. And he he by the end of Friday he had five picks um, in the top 94. So it was just and all around like. The Bucks just hit on a lot of needs, and and I really couldn't. I Jason Light to me is just. I know I might be a little biased, um, but he is just a draft wizard as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, we we are right there with you. David and I talked about it a lot on Saturday show after the uh, after the second round. That just the things that Jason Light is able to do. You know, turning three picks in in the top seventy into Jason Pierre Paul and five more players within the top 100 was just it it was incredible it's phenomenal to watch him work I mean of course we're watching from afar you have a much closer view than we do um but yeah I we always come away impressed with what Jason Light is is able to do yeah and uh you know I know that there was a lot about maybe it it kind of it, it follows the same pattern as as did last year, where tight end wasn't necessarily, um, you know, the biggest need that the Buccaneers had, right, before they got O.J. Howard. 
but it was it was one of those things where he fell that far and no one expected him to, so you kind of had to take him. You it's like it's that talent over need type you know situation you wrestle with. Where's that line? Um, you don't ever want to force it because you have another need. But you know Vita Vea comes in and and I didn't expect him to be there. Um, I didn't expect him to be to get past the Dolphins to be quite honest with you. So um, once the Bucks traded back. Uh, I, I'm kind of cross-checking, like, who, we, you know, we had kind of hypothesized who was going to be there. Um, obviously, the big three non-quarterback prospects went before we were, you know, the Bucks were up at seven. Um, and so, you know, got the news that they traded back, and I'm cross-checking, like, what, who's going to be there? You know, is it going to be a secondary player? You know, kind of what, the, obviously, the Bucks need. Um, and then again, they got past the Dolphins, and the Dolphins didn't take Vita Vea. And we were like, we all kind of looked around, and we're like, he's still on the board. Are we, are, <laughs> is, is this going to happen? Like, like, we're all looking at each other. Like, is this going to happen? Is this really going to happen? And and it did, and, and that was, it was just, it was so incredible to still get that talent and then get 53 and 56, you know, the, the two second-round picks out of that, and, and to come away from the first night now having three second-round picks. Um, which, you know, addressed even more needs in, in that round. And, and, you know, starting with the running back from USC, which pains me to say, um, we talked about it earlier, I'm an Arizona State alum. And uh, Ronald Jones had himself a couple of games against Arizona State last season, had, <laughs> had himself a game last season. Um, so I, I was pretty familiar with, with, that, with him and, and just his style of play and how awesome it is. And, um, you know, I really like him as a fit. Uh, I know that obviously there was Darius Geist and, and all these guys, you know, on the board and, and who ended up falling a lot further than anyone had anticipated. But I really think that um, Jason, you know, got the right guy, the right fit for what the Bucks are trying to do. Yeah, definitely. I think we were all kind of on that same page there, Carmen, even watching from the outside. Uh, I know James and I pretty much predicted it would be Darius Geist at, at uh, 17. And even with Derwin James on the board, you know, he was an option that we kind of thought they might be looking at. And to see the Dolphins say Mika Fitzpatrick, you know, again, Fitzpatrick's a good player in his own right, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't think anybody really had that position as, as kind of a high area of need for the Dolphins, at least higher than Vita Vea to replace Dominican Sue. So definitely interesting to see how that transpired. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, and then and Bailey – um. So we heard what Carmen has to say from the inside. You know what we've had to say. You, you've been in our private chats and have heard our episodes from the last uh, two days, first two days of the draft, that is. Bailey, what are, what are your thoughts on the class? Yeah, first of all, thank you guys for having me back on. Um, I have a lot of the same thoughts as Carmen, actually. You know, looking from the outside, um, obviously we don't have as much of the inside knowledge, but I think just what she said about coming away with that many picks, trading back, um, I want to go back to the beginning because we talked about those top three players multiple times before the draft, uh, the top three non-quarterbacks. And when the Browns went Denzel Ward at four, I was starting to think maybe one of those top three guys is going to fall to us. But of course they got, the next two got taken. And once we got to seven, I was kind of feeling like, I don't really feel like there's anyone that I really want to take at seven. So when I saw, when I saw the, the trade, the pick is, pick isn't traded. When I saw that pop up on the screen, I yelled because I was glad we were picking up those extra picks and whoever we were going to take, I knew probably fit better at the, at the 12 spot. So, you know, picking up those extra picks impressed me a lot. I loved that, um, you know, to get four, to get, to get the 12 pick and then to get three picks that right around the top 55, I think the, the, the fourth one was 56, I believe. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was incredible. Um, some of the guys coming in, um, I, I have heard, I had heard of them coming in. I had done some research on them, but there were some surprises to me. Uh, there's some picks, obviously, I guess, with every draft class that I like better than others. Really excited about Ronald Jones, the second. Uh, really excited about Carlton Davis, especially. Um, I'm, I'm I'm big on him, and I just think that that they addressed all the needs they they had, and then even once they got to the later rounds, you know, taking kid out of pen Justin Watson. That that pick really excited me just from what I've seen of him so far and what I've read up on him. I, I think it was a re- another really good draft, and I know for for whatever reason, Bucks fans love to to pick on Jason Light and, and the moves that he's he's made in his time here. But I think he, again, he did a really good job. Yeah, absolutely. And and Carmen, what was what was kind of the atmosphere like? I know you touched on a little bit, but generally, I'm not sure exactly where you were during the process of the of the first round. I would assume you you and and Scott were in the media room. What was kind of the the reaction and the atmosphere like when that trade went down? Because we had heard that there was the Bills weren't going to give up both of those first round picks, so it started to seem like maybe they would stay pat or wait a little bit and take their chance that one of the quarterbacks fell to them. So what was, you know, kind of paint the picture for us as to how everyone reacted when, when that trade ended up being announced. Yeah. Well, actually, so Scott and I, um, we go back and forth between the press room and actually our offices, which are up in the creative services area um, with all of the graphic designers, uh, the videographers and everybody that has, um, all the behind-the-scenes work that has to be done, social media people, um, once the pick is made. And so we're sitting in this kind of, like, quarantined office. Like, we're, we're kind of in this space. We call it the gated community within one buck. Um, but we are sitting in there, you know, watching the, watching the screen. And um, even from the very beginning, so we had, ha- we had heard rumors of Baker Mayfield going first overall. And what the Bucks really obviously needed was a quarterback run in those top six picks. And, you know, in a lot of mock drafts and a lot of, you know, these draft analysts have said that Baker is maybe even like the fourth of the top four QBs. So if you're thinking, all right, Baker goes first overall, um, then you think that Darnold and Rosen and Allen are right behind them. And you're like, oh, my God, like this could happen. Like, so even with the first pick, we're like, oh, God, this could happen. Like there could be four quarterbacks that go. And... Um, we and, and then we would have a chance at you know one of those top three non-quarterback prospects, and so then um, we're waiting to see what the Giants do, and then they don't take a quarterback; they take Saquon. So like, all right, cool. Um, you know, there's still two of those guys left, and, and we're kind of going back. But it was it was that Denzel Ward pick um, with the Browns, and I think you know just like you, Bailey, I yelped. Um, even Scott Smith, like he was like so even killed most of the time. He was like, what? <laughs> they took what? And so we were all just kind of like in disbelief at that point. And then real, and then like it sunk in that there was only one more quarterback that needed to go um, in order for either Bradley Schaub or Quentin Nelson to still be on the board. So, um, but then when Denver immediately took Chubb, um, the, the inner pessimist, I have this like inner sports cynic in my head that just immediately jumps to like the worst case scenario. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. We've lost – like, the Bucks have lost pretty much, like, any leverage they may have even had. So mm-hmm. the option of trading down – like, Jason Light has said it before. I know Scott Smith has said it before. Like, there's no magic trade down button. So you have to get a team to do it. 
And I'm like, well, so Indy's not going to take a quarterback. We're not going to take a quarterback. The Bears don't need a quarterback. <laughs> like, none of it um, – like, you have to go all the way down to the Dolphins before you conceivably have a team that would really want to take one. So I'm like, all right, well, if the Bills really want their quarterback, all they would need to do is jump the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness, all three of these guys, the big three are going to be off the board. We're not going to have the opportunity to trade down. And we're like, it's going to be like forcing a pick, like what's going to happen. And so I was like, so when that trade alert came through, I think my shoulders like went down about 10 feet. I was like, oh my goodness. You know, we were all like really excited about the trade down. Um, And then, and that's when I kind of started cross-checking, like who is still available? Like what, you know, what secondary is is still there? uh, What secondary players are still there? And then that's, you know, when I started thinking about Vita Vea and then, um, but he got past the Dolphins. It's like, all right, cool. Like, and it was like Christmas all over again. So it was, it was an emotional roller coaster, um, of of a you know a half hour or forty minutes, however long that. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that James and I have been talking a lot about as far as the trade back scenario is is the having to have a dance partner, obviously, to get it done. And uh, I've I've long been a been an advocate saying that you know if if the if the media experts are correct and we have four quarterbacks go before the Bucks come on the clock. A trade is probably not going to happen, but um, let's let's dip into the world of of, of fantasy just for a second. Um, and, and just I know you can't give away any any trade secrets or anything like that. So just kind of your own personal speculation. Had Quentin Nelson or one of the just one of the big three had one of them been there at number seven? Do you still think that uh, the the trigger gets pulled on a trade, or do you think that the Bucks take one of those big three? Um, that's and and. When you say trade secrets, I I don't have any. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, I mean we are we do operate actually our our offices are across the hall from the draft room, but that is kept so close to the vest that any heads up that we ever got was about two to three minutes of our picks. Um, <laughs> but it's really difficult, even in hindsight, to say um, that you would or wouldn't pull that trade down trigger because you look at it and had one of those guys been available and had we taken it, say it was Quentin Nelson, yes, I, there's nothing you can take away from Quentin Nelson and him on that offensive line with Ali Marpet, with Ryan Jensen on that interior, like that would be one of the most dominant offensive lines in the league, hands down. And it would be one of the nastiest lines. Like I know that word's been thrown around a lot, but what you just costed yourself then because you gave up the third round pick for Jason Pierre-Paul, which again, I do not, you know, I do 10 times over. Um, you've now costed yourself some depth and you've costed yourself the flexibility by taking one of those guys right there. So trading down was, you know, like I said, as much of an emotional roller coaster as it was, it was kind of almost like this blessing in disguise. And especially because we got Vita Bea, um that, you know, and then we, you know, picked up all this flexibility and ended up actually having a third round pick after trading back again in the second round. Um, and and so kind of in hindsight, like, would I like to have had Quentin Nelson on the team? Well, yeah. But does that mean that we don't get Ronald Jones, MJ Stewart, Carlton Davis, and then Alex Kappa, who I think, you know, he's a small school guy, but we already have a small school, you know, guard on our team that's worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. So if he can, you know, kind of play up to the level that, and learn from Ali Marpet and, and, you know, kind of fit in there too. I, I don't know that I would necessarily take one of those guys and not trade down. Yeah, no, I like it. And and actually last time Scott was on the show, uh, we James, him and I kind of 
kind of speculated about that that possibility. And I, I think I was the only one on that episode that said even honestly, even with one of the big three on the board, like I depending on the trade offers that are out there, I would almost still take the trade back rather than take one of those players just because like what we've seen happen, just the the amount of players that you can get that potentially come in and you know, maybe not all of them make a huge rookie year impact, but you're talking, you know, two, three years down the line, especially when you come to cap management and the salaries that they're going to be earning and so on and so right. forth. I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I think they did a great job. And uh, yeah, so I think we're, we're thinking along uh, the same lines there. Yeah. I don't know that I would be, have been able to say that prior to it happening. <laughs> so like in hindsight, I think it's probably easier to say, no, 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 I would definitely still take the trade down, but like, you know, prior to, you know, what I, what I saw that, you know, the Bucks ended up getting, um, I don't know that that would, I don't know that I would have had the guts to make that call like you did um, prior to the draft actually. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I, I doubt it was a very, po- I didn't really, I didn't get roasted for it. Like nobody really came at me on Twitter or anything telling me I was stupid, but I don't think it was the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the popular opinion at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, taking away, and and I know this is kind of cheating, but taking away the selections of Vita Vea and Ronald Jones, we all knew going in how big of a need running back was for the Buccaneers. So I'm going to take away those top two choices, and I'll, I'll ask the both of you. And Bailey, we're going to go ahead and start with you. And then, Carmen, as soon as Bailey's done, you can just jump in and give your answer. Out of the remaining picks – which one was your personal favorite that you really, you know, you you're excited about the impact that they could potentially have on the team that, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, none of the the draft experts or anyone were talking about link to the Buccaneers or, or mock to the Buccaneers. So a lot of them we've had to, to deep dive on some research on and, and begin watching some of their games, but, you know, eliminating Vea and Jones, uh, Bailey, which one was was your favorite, both in terms of what they did in college and what they can do for the Bucs? Uh, yeah, I kind of hinted at it when I first talked, but I think Carlton Davis would be my pick because I just – doing the research I've done on him and, and seeing the way he's played and, and the type of player he is, I think he can make such a big impact. I had someone tell me on Twitter that they were surprised that we took Carlton Davis after MJ Stewart, that he was still on the board after we took MJ Stewart uh, down, down the line a little bit. And I, I agreed with that. I, I thought between the two, I know, I know less about MJ Stewart, but between the two, I, I thought Carlton Davis was, was the better prospect. And I think just it's, it kind of presents some sort of a shift with the way the Bucks are running their defense, because, you know, we've, we've all seen the last few years, the way they play, they play off the receiver so often. And we kind of see, we kind of see with Vernon Hargraves, that doesn't really fit him that well. You know, playing off the receiver, you know, giving them that five-yard cushion hasn't been working out. You know, we had the, the last – the Bucks had the last uh, ranked pass defense in the league last year. So, you know, seeing a run on, on secondary players for us in, in the middle rounds was cool. But just seeing what Davis can do, you know, playing press, um, being one of those shutdown man-to-man guys, I think it's it's something that the Bucks don't necessarily have on the roster. And even if they do, I, I think I think with Brent Grimes getting up there in age and this being – close to the end of his career, you got yourself a guy that can maybe lead, lead the secondary for the next several years. Yeah. I, uh, I really like that pick as well because he is that big bodied corner. We have a lot of big body receivers in the NFC South that um, you need someone to contest with. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Brent Grimes is as athletic as freakish athletic as they come, but um, you really kind of, 
uh, I actually saw something where Carlton Davis was compared to or projected to be the next Richard Sherman. So I'm like, please, let's 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 have that happen. All <laughs> in on that. I know, right? But um, I do. I was actually really um, excited about Jordan Whitehead, uh, the safety from Pitt. Um, I was talking to some people around the building too. I mean, he's like this really interesting, dynamic, you know, player. He he's used kind of in their toolkit on offense, where he's like a lot of he's used as a running back in, in a lot of jet sweeps, to be honest. Um, but it's it's really cool to kind of ha- you know the fact that he has even that you know view of the field and he can you know. I feel like it, it it just kind of helped him out on both ends of the ball, and uh, he was described to me as kind of like a, a downhill thumper when it comes to um, his safety play. And uh, he's cousins with Darrell Rivas. So he was at, I guess, Darrell Rivas's, um draft party when he was a little kid, and has like, and I guess Darrell's been very, you know, kind of involved with this process with him. And, and so, I mean, he's got the best um, corner in the league, you know, one of the best corners to ever play the game, you know, in his, like, in his back pocket, you know, that he gets to kind of learn from as far as, like, secondary play goes. So um, I was really kind of pumped about him just to, just because once I did read up on him, I was like, wow, this guy's really, really interesting. Yeah, that's a really good pick. I think I think a lot of fans are going to enjoy having him on, on the roster. And, and Carmen, I know you said you and Scott kind of bounced back and forth uh, somewhat, it seems somewhat rotationally but calls that you heard i don't know if you were in on all of them but if you were or the ones that you did listen on what are some key things that you took from from those players that maybe uh kind of give a hint as to you know that this was really a good guy to bring to the organization yeah well that's just been in general kind of um a really big theme as far as all of the offseason acquisitions have gone just from everything that we've heard from from jason light from coach cutter um, is about these guys' character, and they don't just want to bring in good football players. They want to bring in good guys. And, I mean, that's always the goal, don't get me wrong, but um, there's been just a really kind of laser focus on, you know, who these guys are um, as as men, and it, it's really cool to, you know, kind of hear, like, their first reaction, and, you know, they get in on these calls. And um, uh, I actually really enjoyed Jack Stitchy's call, um, because he was, you know, the sixth-round pick, and he's this linebacker that has been largely overlooked due to his injury history. Um, and, you know, he missed he missed all the 2017 season. Um, I think he actually missed, like, the last 20 games um, of in, in, like, at Wisconsin. But he was just so, like, he was, you know, I'm going to be 100%. I, I know, you know, what it, like, what it takes. His dad, you know, played at uh, Notre Dame, so and his entire family is really athletic. So he was just so, um, you know, like, obviously, he's humble. Like, all these guys are, it's a really good, it's kind of a really generic way to describe them, but they really have are itching to prove themselves. Um, and you that just came through a lot on, especially with Jack Stitchy, due to, you know, the situation that he's been through um, with a couple major injuries in his collegiate career. So, um, and he, it's really, like, it's really great to have him at depth um, for the linebacker core, because especially with um, Kendall Beckwith's kind of timetable mm-hmm. uncertain, you know, to have him come in and, and you know, want to prove himself and, and realize that he's got a shot here and, and all that, saying he's going to be 100% for minicamp, uh, that was really cool to hear. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point there with Kendall especially. And, and uh, I'll tell you, I mean, you know, I've got my, my, you know, sort of Arizona State ties, but my father raised me as a Buckeye fan. And I can tell you just paying attention to Big Ten football, 
uh i mean he he was an up-and-comer like he was starting to build a little bit of hype when he got his first major injury and then when it was supposed to be time mm-hmm. for him to come back there was some more hype building up and they got that second major injury i think the key thing there is that the other injury was in the same area the same body part so hopefully it's not a injury you know something that's going to become a problem in the future hopefully it's not a trend hopefully mm-hmm. it's just two you know two really bad uh unlucky uh events happening in his life that are are going to, you know, lead him to, like you said, kind of an up point where he's just going to grind it out and then rise above. So great stuff on, on Jack. There. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Carmen, I know you're, you're not able to stay for the entire show and, and we're going to have to let you go here soon. But first, of course, people that are familiar with you and the work that you've been doing over at Buccaneers.com, we want to get to know a little bit more about Carmen. So we're going to hit you with a few rapid fire questions to get to know about you beyond the realm of football. Does that sound good? Okay. Yeah. Right. Let, let's do it. All right. Well, of course, outside of the NFL draft, the big story for this weekend has been Avengers infinity war. So we have to know who's your favorite superhero. Oh gosh. Um, I am not, I'm unfortunately not super into superheroes. Only if, like, does, like, Harry Potter count? Because you know what? I'll take it. I can geek out over Harry Potter all day, but if you're going to force me to make a, to take a superhero, um, I actually really like Batman. And okay. obviously, nice. like, Gerald McCoy is super, you know, into Batman, but that has no bearing on, um, I just like him because he doesn't actually have superpowers. And I know that's like a knock against him, but like he does a lot with not with being like an average human. So I like Batman. I like it. Well, and, and I'll accept the Harry Potter one too, because if I could pick Darth Vader as a superhero, I would be all in on it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Like I said, I could talk about Harry Potter all day, but um, superhero, I'm going to definitely go with Batman. Plus, he gets to ride around in Batmobile. So I'm, I'm all about it. All right. Who is your favorite musical artist or band? Mm. Wow, that's hard. Um, all time, I probably have to go. I was a huge, still am a huge Lil Wayne head, uh, <laughs> which is really probably like surprising to a lot of people. Um, but I was like, I like I had all his mixtapes. I had all, uh, I mean, his albums. Obviously, he hasn't, um, you know, quite produced as of late, but I, in high school and college, I mean, I found the most obscure Lil Wayne songs that you could possibly, possibly imagine. And I think I knew every word to him. So he's up there. I really like, um, I really like Jay-Z. Um, but then I all, like, I can go to the other side of the spectrum and like one of my all time favorites is Tom Petty, nice. um, Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel yes. is kind of what my dad yeah, my dad raised me on that kind of stuff. REM, REM. I was a huge REM fan as kids. Um, so yeah, I kind of go all over the board. <laughs> you know what? If we ever take a road trip, I'm handing you the ox cord because I'm. <laughs> I, I think you're the the diversity and and all your favorites pretty much line up with a lot of the stuff that I've always listened to. So you're in uh you're yeah. in good company there. <clears throat> all right, cool. Yeah, it's, it's I'm a little bit of an oxymoron when it comes to my taste in music, but I like it that way. Mm-hmm. Now, since you're from Chicago, I think I already know the answer to this one, but we're going to ask anyway. All-time favorite non-football athlete? Oh, come on. 
<laughs> you have to know the answer to that already. Um, it's absolutely Michael Jordan. Okay. Um, yeah. What um, What's really funny is when I was a kid growing up. So I was I was born in the late '80s, and so in in the '90s I was a little kid, and I was just coming into kind of understanding sports and and you know my sports knowledge. And the Bulls were in the championship every year at, at that point. Um, you know, and I actually thought that the B in NBA stood for Bulls because uh, I nice. thought that. It was their league, and that's just, and it was whoever got to play them in the championship. So it was, it, it, might it was hundred percent my favorite. I, I still say, if, oh, go ahead, David. It might have well been like the National Bulls Association, like you know, oh. everybody's just playing for second place at that point. <laughs> I still maintain yeah, if you didn't play all... baseball, they win eight in a row. That rock, those Rockets teams wouldn't have stopped the Bulls. Oh. And what's really funny is um, my family, we moved to California um, one of those two years in between the championships, and it was the first year that they didn't, they didn't win. And I was like, was that our fault? Do we, is this like, <laughs> because we moved from Chicago, dad, like, I was like asking my dad, I was like, why aren't the Bulls in the championship? Is it because we moved? <laughs> not allowed. I had like this tremendous sense of like, I don't know, responsibility as a child when it came to sports for some <laughs> Who was your childhood hero? Oh, that's a good one. Um, we get deep here on Lockdown Bucks, by the way. We do. I know. <laughs> I mean, like the, like the first answer that comes to mind is my dad. Um, because just like he's the whole reason that I am um, into sports as much as I am. He he didn't like play anything crazy or, or he wasn't super athletic as a, as a kid. Although he did play rugby in college, but nice. um, he just like just his like appreciation for sports and like the fandom he has. He grew up in Philadelphia actually, and um, so I have very fond memories sitting in the living room with like my, all my uncles, and my cousins, and, and my dad, and um, them screaming at Eagles games. And it probably isn't the best like, introduction to sports, <laughs> hearing this combination of swear words that you've never heard in your life. Um, but he was always just so supportive. Of, I like when I figured out that you could do something for your favorite team without um, actually playing for them. Um, that was actually his doing too. We watched Jerry Maguire when I was like nine, and, which was <laughs> not not mom sanctioned by any means. But that movie actually made me, and of course it's about an agent um, and, and all that, but it was the first like eye-opening experience I can remember, like being like, oh, wait, I can do things in sports and not play? Because <laughs> as a mm -hmm. little girl, like I'm obviously not going to grow up and play football um, in the NFL, but it was one of those things that was super eye-opening in that regard. It taught me a few swear words, like I said, again, um, but it was it was really cool. And I, and I kind of realized like, really recently actually that obviously Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character went to Arizona State and I'm like was that like subconscious like did I end up attending <laughs> Arizona State because of this movie that my dad showed me at a way too young of an age but yeah um so it would definitely have to be him and then to this day he's just he's so supportive of everything I've done and and he is just like such a selfless um encouraging person that you know I always try to emulate and make sure that you know I operate the same way awesome that's awesome our our, our <laughs> final one it, it's not as deep or or heavy uh it's kind of deep sure. though it's still kind of deep 
It is. It is kind okay. of deep. And this is this is courtesy of David, so I'm going to try not to butcher this. <laughs> All better, right. better Chicago pizza, Giordano's oh. or Lou Malnati's? Oh, Lou Malnati's. Hands down. Okay. Oh. <clears throat> disagree. Hands down. I, I strongly disagree. So in the no, only, only Chicago okay, I know that- pizza- the only Chicago pizza place I've ever been to is Bella Bacino's. Where is that? Uh, <clears throat> I couldn't tell you. I was there with my brother-in-law and sister, and he took me. So he just told me this okay. is the greatest Chicago pizza you'll ever eat. And it was delicious, but. I stopped by my well, last time in Chicago, I... and it's all right. But it's no Giordano's. <laughs> so, well, I know Giordano's does the cute little, like, Cubs logos, oh, Sox logos, and all that other stuff on their pizza. <laughs> but, like. Lou Malnati's sauce, oh my God, that is by far better than Giordano's. And their butter crust, actually, also a really big fan of Lou Malnati's thin crust, which no one knows about. I I did have Lou Malnati's thin crust, and that is on point. I will tell you that, that is on point. Um, Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And the butter crust is good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's better than pizza? Pizza with a bunch of butter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a good I mean, point they're both really good but for me i mean it's it's giordano's above luminati but i mean i'm not i'm just a, a business visitor on you know from time to time i'm not a i'm not from chicago so that's my tourist opinion well it's my, my like i will say there was like a mom and pop place um in the town i grew up in that i really liked but once i moved to the city and i was living in the city for a little bit there's a place called pequod and it's in lincoln park mm-hmm. and it is that is the best deep dish pizza I've ever had. And actually, when I went to grad school, um, in one of my classes, at the end of the year, our professor was like, okay, we'll order pizza. Um, where do you want it from? And literally, the entire class was like, Pequot. Nice. <laughs> it was like a consensus. Everyone knows about it that lives in the city. And we had Pequot delivered on the last day of class. It was great. Pequot. I'll just check that out my next time to uh, Chicago. Yeah, shout out Pequod's Pizza in in Chicago. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, Carmen, thank you so, so much for joining us uh, to discuss a little bit of the draft. What do you have on tap over at Buccaneers.com that our listeners can make sure they go check out? Um, well, it's been kind of a flurry of, of articles just, you know, kind of introducing these guys. And, and, of course, Scott Smith does a really great job um, in analyzing them and kind of going in, in – further detail about each of them but um i do have a couple of series that i'm pretty proud of on there i just started a q a series with our current players called behind the buccaneers um and it's kind of what you guys just did with me uh it's really not football related it's kind of getting to know the guys under the helmet and and who they are as just as you know as men and it was it's been a really fun series to to to, to execute um and that's coming out every couple of weeks. We have a new guy coming out. So I talked to a lot of them this week, actually, um, now that they've been back in the building. And, um, yeah, I've gotten – there's some great stuff in there. So definitely that, that's, that you'd want to check that out. Cool. All right. Well, once again, Carmen, thank you so, so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you on again real soon. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks so much, Carmen. Thanks, guys. That was Carmen Vitale of Buccaneers.com. 
A big thank you once again to Carmen of Buccaneers.com for joining the first portion of our post-draft roundtable recap. We will have more episodes following as David Bailey and I continue the discussion about the prospects and the state of the Buccaneers as it is right now. But until then, make sure you're checking out everything that we're doing over at thepeterplank.com and be sure that you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at thepeterplank, at jyarko underscore bucks, and at dh82 underscore bucks. Thank you all so much for joining us right here at Locked On Bucks.